It is a special edition of Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. So glad to have you guys on this rainy Saturday morning. Figured there was so much that happened Friday night in Twins City Sports that just couldn't really wait to talk about all of it until Monday with Patrick Royce. I'm sure he and I will get into some of these same subjects, but a lot of them very fresh right now. The big three I want to hit this morning, today, over the weekend are, of course, Timberwolves bounced from the playoffs, lost another game in which they had a double-digit fourth quarter lead eliminated by the Grizzlies. We're going to talk a lot about that game. The Wild ascending, going a completely different direction than the Wolves. They clinched home ice with a big win over Colorado on Friday. They will be home against St. Louis when the playoffs begin on Monday. We'll get into that. The Marcus Foligno injury and expectations for this year's team. Plus, Vikings draft, while it's not done as of recording, we're through three rounds and a lot has happened in this draft. Some interesting trades, some interesting picks for the Vikings and Quesi Adolfo Mensa running his first draft. So let's get into all three of those things, maybe talk a tiny bit of Twins at the end. They lost to Tampa Bay. Pretty big gap right now with the Twins in terms of where they are against teams in their division versus uh, instead of teams outside of the weak American League Central. Let's start with the Wolves. You guys, at this point, it wasn't a surprise, right? You were just, if you were a Wolves fan, you were hoping for a different outcome, but, you know, mindful of, you know, the notion that repeating the same process over and over again and expecting a different result is the very definition of insanity. And you probably watched the fourth quarter with that sinking feeling. Wolves led by 10 going into the fourth quarter, 84-74 at target center. Had, you know, on paper, the looks of a game that could go back to Memphis for a game seven. I mean, you guys saw this stat tweeted out. The Wolves had a lead at the end of the first, second, and third quarter in five of the six games this series. Every game except game two, the Wolves led at the end of the first, second, and third quarters. And of course, what happened in games three, five, and six will be the thing that lingers, that sticks in your memory, at least until you can start to spin forward to next year and some optimism about what might happen down the, you know, in the future, down the road. But in this game, it was all too familiar, and it started out right away in that fourth quarter with Carl Anthony Towns making two terrible decisions. Wolves, you know, Memphis had the ball to start the fourth. They go down. The Wolves actually get a defensive stop, even though Memphis gets a couple cracks at it. Carl Anthony Towns gets the rebound and makes a completely lazy, inexcusable outlet pass that's stolen by Memphis leads to a three-pointer. All of a sudden, it's like momentum shifts in the first 30 seconds of the quarter. Towns goes down on the other end, tries to get it all back right away like a gambler who's just lost a big bet. Hey, let's throw another big bet right at it, try to make things square. Shoots a three-pointer that catches basically nothing. Memphis gets the rebound, goes down, makes a three. All of a sudden, 10 points is four points, and everybody in the building 
up to and including Timberwolves players has got to be thinking at that point, uh-oh, here we go again. And that only told part of the story. I think Towns was bad, um, and maybe that's being kind, in the fourth quarter and really throughout Game 6, some familiar problems with him, you know, not being able to handle adversity. That's That's been a big problem with him throughout his career, throughout this season, not being able to, you know, understand the moment, understand what's needed in the moment, understand when is the time to complain about something, when's the time just to put your head down and do your job. But he was not the only problem. The other Timberwolves max player, D'Angelo Russell, was even worse in this game. Let's go to the final stat lines for both of those guys before we get into some fourth quarter stuff with D'Lo that was pretty interesting. Um, Towns finished 6 of 19 from the field, did not make a single three-pointer, missed a few free throws, which is uncharacteristic, finished with 10 rebounds, 4 assists, 18 points in 41 minutes, but not a very efficient night to be sure. Anthony Edwards, on the other hand, finished with 30 points, took a lot of shots, but again, he was a guy that was at least uh, affecting the game in a certain way. 30 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks. D'Angelo Russell only played 27 minutes, 7 points, 1 rebound, 4 assists, did have 3 steals, but 4 turnovers, and more importantly, got pulled from the game in the fourth quarter. You know, you had that moment where, you know, it seems like you're resting your starters to bring him back in. D'Lo comes back in. It was, we find the exact uh, the exact timing. It was right around the seven and a half minute mark. You know, the Wolves had been struggling a bit in that uh, in that stretch. He comes in for Jordan McLaughlin. Wolves are, are still up 92-89. D'Lo comes back in. Almost immediately, you know, less than a minute later, turnover. He was careless with the ball all night, particularly in bad moments. Another turnover, um, another minute later. By the time he comes out of the game, he is pulled out of the game at 4.53. So two and a half minutes, he gets pulled. It's 97-97. Jordan McLaughlin, undrafted free agent, a guy they weren't even sure was going to be on the team this year, comes back in and plays the crunch time minutes that your max player doesn't deserve in that game. That is a problem also. So what do you do about that? What do you do about your two biggest players disappearing in the fourth quarter of an elimination game? You know, one of them almost entirely playing so poorly he can't even stay on the court. The other one just taking ill-advised shots, that you know, 30-foot three-pointer by Towns with like two or three minutes left that he tried, again, trying to get it back, just not working the flow of the offense, just jacking up shots trying to trying to be a hero trying to trying to get trying to get it all back in one shot what do you do about that and that's the offseason question ahead of them right towns under contract for two more seasons d'angelo russell under contract for just one more logically this would be the summer where d'angelo russell would get a contract extension no way can that happen right now right as important as he was at times during this regular season, as much as he seemed to be the engine that drove this team, um, you know, I, I just I don't imagine how you can bring him back. Certainly at a cap number of thirty million, whatever he's at this year, that just doesn't work. It doesn't work when somebody who makes up that much of your salary cap is giving you so much less than that. Especially when eventually you're going to have to pay Anthony Edwards. He's going to be 
I don't know if he's going to be a max guy. He sure feels like he's ascending towards that. You're going to have to pay Jaden McDaniels at a certain point, who was terrific in this playoff series, by the way. We'll get into some of the positives here in just a minute. You got to pay those guys eventually. You can't be paying D'Angelo Russell again. I just don't think you can. You got to cut your losses at a certain point. I don't know if you can trade him this offseason. Um, I don't know if that's the smartest move. I don't know if you get value for him. Um, but if you cannot trade him, you just have to let that $30 million just wash away off the books and feel better about where your cap is in a year from now when he is gone. I'm not saying he's a bad player. not saying he hasn't add any sort of value to this team. But you cannot have a player making that much money providing so little or at least so little on a consistent basis on your team. So anybody saying trade D'Lo, I'm on board. I don't know what you're going to get. I don't know what the market is for him. If it's an expiring for an expiring, someone's problem for your problem. But that to me uh, seems like it's going to be an issue this offseason. Those of you saying trade Carl Anthony Towns, he's not untouchable. Um, I don't know, guys. I don't I don't see that. I, he, you do not have a 46-36 and 36 season without Carl Anthony Towns, who is a all-NBA candidate who is a all-star this year for the second time, who took his game to a different level, had some rough patches in the playoffs and the play-in, no doubt about it, but also had some very good games, also had some very good moments. Here's the thing with Cap. I've said this for three years now. He cannot be the best player on your team. Right now, he still is, but that is changing fast. Anthony Edwards very soon will be the best player on the Timberwolves, he will be the alpha. In that situation, you can still have Carl Anthony Towns playing a very outsized role on this team as a number two, as the you know, as that kind of option. As long as he is not counted on to be the emotional heartbeat of your team, as long as he's not counted on to be that guy, he can be a very good player on your team, a star player still, I believe. It would have to take some sort of massive blow you away trade to think about offloading him because then you're starting over again. You're not going to be a playoff team next season without Carl Anthony Towns unless you get some sort of massive haul in return. So I just don't see that one. I think you still build around Carl Anthony Towns. If that piece of it falls apart next season, maybe you reconsider. But right now, you got to see what you've got. Let this core go a little bit more. Um and D'Angelo Russell is the biggest the biggest puzzle piece that I just don't see fitting long term. Now, the good news, Anthony Edwards, despite, you know, some of some criticism I had of him after game 5, you know, set all sorts of records for youngest player to score a certain number of points in a playoff series, had 30 in the elimination game, did not seem afraid of the moment. Give him an offseason to, you know, get completely healthy, get him an offseason to recalibrate his game let's think about what he can be in two or three years when he can handle the ball a little bit more when he's understanding how to better distribute the ball in those fourth quarter situations instead of just being the one who's attacking and trying to do it himself that to me is the most exciting piece about this that Anthony Edwards could become that type of player and I don't know what his long-term comparable, you know, he's going to be player X. I've always thought like Dwayne Wade was like a high-end comp for for Anthony Edwards. I don't know. I don't know what exactly he's going to be. Maybe he's just going to be the best version of himself. But he and Jaden McDaniels, who was great in this series, made a ton of shots, made a big three 
uh, in Friday's game that kept things close, that gave them a little bit of hope towards the end until it was dashed. Um, he was fantastic. Those two guys are going to be under contract for a few more years at reasonable prices and then you know, hopefully here for a very long time as they continue to ascend. They've got pieces to build around. They had a season that exceeded expectations by any stretch of the imagination. If you went into this thinking uh, they should be able to compete for a play-in spot, which I think was a reasonable expectation, maybe they'll win 35 to 40 games if things go well. Yeah, they won 46 beat a very good veteran team in the play-in, and probably were the better team at least for the first 36 minutes against Memphis. And again, that doesn't that doesn't mean you're the best team overall. The fourth quarter in the playoffs is where you really find out about players, and that's, that's something they're going to have to soul-search about in the offseason. That's something they're going to have to think about long and hard. How did this happen? How can it how can you stop it from happening again? Chris Finch, that will be on him to kind of develop the culture to develop better, you know, whatever it is, better game planning, whatever it is for fourth quarters so this does not continue to happen so they don't find themselves right back in the situation next year where they're building leads and losing them because, you know, when you build leads, when you take three double digit leads into the fourth quarter and lose all of those games in the playoffs, something that's never happened before you know, A, that you are a good team, and you know, B, that you have a lot to work on, especially on the mental side of things. So that will be the biggest offseason question to me. Can they take another step physically? Can they take another step mentally? Because if they do, this can be a team that not only gets back to the playoffs next year, but contends to win series, things like that. I mean, they're already contending to win a series this year, maybe a little bit ahead of schedule. I'm interested to see what they're able to do next season with a lot of these same players back, but they have to change some things. They have to change that mentality, and that will be their biggest challenge. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. The Wild on the other hand, on this Saturday when so much has happened in the last 24 hours, a lot of good news Friday, one large piece of bad news. They beat Colorado 4-1, securing home ice in the first round of the playoffs. That was great. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury looked good, had a good bounce-back game, going to give Dean Evason a lot to think about in terms of what goalie he is going to play in the postseason, at least in Game 1. 8.30 Monday night against the St. Louis Blues, who, by the way, have not played at XL Energy Center all season. A quirk of scheduling. These two division teams only played each other three times this season, twice in St. Louis and once in the Winter Classic at Target Field. So St. Louis has not been in this building all year. XL Energy Center has been very good to the Wild this season. It showed in a loud environment Friday night, even with the playoff game in the NBA going on right across the river, even with plenty of other divided attention with the NFL draft. People were into it. You know, There's fights early in that game. Cheap shot from Colorado takes out Marcus Foligno. We'll see what happens if he is able to play in game one and beyond, left that game, did not come back, a knee-to-knee hit. That piece of it, very troubling for the Wild as they get ready for these playoffs. But bigger picture, 
the opportunity is there. If we talk about the Wolves kind of having a sweet spot um, in, you know, a year or two where salaries kind of line up, experience kind of lines up, and they really could truly contend, this feels like that kind of year for the Wild. They have all the pieces in place to make a deep playoff run, and it gets more challenging in future years because, like we've talked about numerous times, those salaries from uh, Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi start to hit the hit the books in a big way. Those buyouts that weren't too onerous this season get really, really harsh in the next few years, start counting $13 million or so on next year's cap. So they're going to have some hard roster decisions to make in future years. But this year, they have all the pieces in place. They've got balanced lines. They've got balanced scoring. They've got two veteran-tested goalies. They've got defensive depth. They've got everything you want. They've got some grit and toughness that they got at at the trade deadline. I don't think there's a single thing that you could ask for from this team that they don't have. Maybe a little bit better special teams play, but that's been getting a little bit better lately. Maybe a little bit more consistency in the in the faceoff dot. Those are nitpicks at this point. Those those things are you know valuable in the postseason, but sometimes you can't have everything. And this team has pretty close to everything you would want to make a deep playoff run. Now that guarantees nothing because of the way the NF the way the NHL format is. They have to play St. Louis right away. St. Louis, a very good team that has given the Wild a lot of problems in recent years, including this season. So as you think about this series, you got to think about, you know, in a normal year, the Wild would not be playing a team so good, but because of the way the NHL has changed its playoff format, um, you know, to this new new division format in in recent years, you know, in, in a normal way of doing things, this would not be, you know, a nearly as tough an opponent in the first round. So they're, you know, getting the getting kind of the short end of that that said getting home ice was a big deal they're playing well right now they, they enter the playoffs on a very high note especially after beating two division winners in back-to-back nights to clinch home ice but what what wild team will we see because we've seen good wild teams go into the playoffs before and get steamrolled I don't think that's this year's team I don't think that's this year's culture but it's going to be a tough series there's going to be moments where they are tested can they continue to battle back in those moments like they have during the regular season? Can they continue to be that team that you know rallies from a goal down in the third period, gets that game into overtime? Won't have the luxury of three-on-three where they were so good. It's going to be regular overtime. Is that a factor this, this as the playoffs start? I don't know. What I do know is this. If I put the over-under number on wild playoff victories and Wolves playoff victories combined at nine at the start of the playoffs... That means the Wild needs to get at least seven. That means winning at least one series and winning two if they're going to hit the over, at least getting to a game seven if it's going to be a push. I think they can do it, but that's going to be a big challenge in terms of who they're facing. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see with this Marcus Foligno injury. So I'm excited to watch this series. Starts Monday, 830 against the Blues. And, uh, you know, just going from one pressure cooker to the other with the Wolves straight into the wild. The third piece of what made Friday so dramatic, the Vikings draft continued second and third rounds. Kwesi Adolfo Mensa making another trade within the division, this time with the hated Green Bay Packers. The Vikings swapping number 34 with Green Bay for 53 and 59. Green Bay using that to take Christian Watson, wide receiver from North Dakota State, who 
you know, should help Aaron Rodgers immediately. That was a day after they traded with the Lions and let them take Jamison Williams, another wide receiver. It's probably a good thing. Quayce Adolfo Mensa used his first two draft picks eventually on a safety and a corner because they are going to need to cover those talented young receivers in their division for the next several years. It was a interesting draft in a lot of ways so far from Quayce Adolfo Mensa. I think in terms of pick value, he moved up into some better spots. If you thought depth was the better thing in this draft than home run slam dunk talent, um, then then I think you can argue that he did a good job, right? They they managed to get back the fourth round pick. They traded for Chris Herndon last year, and they ended up with four picks in the top 66, um, you know, used it on a, a safety, a linebacker, um, like I said, a cornerback, and an offensive uh, guard. Um, the offensive guard, by the way, with some legal problems in his past. He was asked about that. Vikings were asked about that. Ed Ingram from LSU. I'm just going to read from the Star Tribune story that detailed um, that background. Ingram is 23 years old, four-year starter at either left or right guard at LSU, um, all, all SEC second team last year, but was suspended for the 2018 season after he was charged with two felony counts of aggravated sexual assault of a minor. He was reinstated before the 2019 season after the charges were dropped. Now, Quayce Dofomensa did address this after the draft, said the team did, quote, extensive research and said, you're betting on the forward and you're betting on everything you were told, he said. But again, extensive process. We got to this place and we feel comfortable with our decision. Um, Ingram said he was asked about it by a lot of teams. He didn't want to get into the charges, didn't want to discuss them, but said he felt happy in the moment in my life after he got drafted. So so I think it's fair to be critical of that pick from that standpoint and see if the Vikings' judgment was, in fact, correct on those lines. So just a lot to take in from the first two days of Equese Adolfo Mensa draft. Again, like I said, I think value-wise, they did reasonably well. I think Mark Craig had a good piece, though, just kind of saying, did they go down too far? From 12 to 32, did they not get enough value there? Did they, you know, help two division teams too much, especially, you know, teams that could use an offensive jolt, especially the Packers, right? I mean, getting rid of Devontae Adams in the offseason, giving them the pick. And you could you could argue Packers might have traded up with some other team, would have been able to get Christian Watson no matter what. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be you that pulls the, you know, that pulls the trigger and makes that deal with them. So on balance, I'm a little puzzled, a little bit uneasy about what I saw in the first two rounds. I think the players they got, um, just judging them based on football talent, can help this team next year. And I'm interested to see what happens with the rest of the draft on Saturday, which should be starting up here in not too long. But if you're just asking me overall what my gut reaction was to the first three rounds, um puzzled I guess is the bigger picture word there would have been a lot easier ways to go about this there could have been a lot more chances at number 12 to maybe get a a player who could have a bigger impact aside from adding depth but maybe that was the the box that Kwese felt like he was placed into by a wanting to win now and you know having players to fill these holes and b the cupboard being left pretty bare by Rick Spielman. Not that they don't have high-end talent on this team. Not that Rick Spielman whiffed 
on all of his picks, but there's been a lot of misses in the first and second round in recent years by the Vikings that have left this team with perilously thin depth. And maybe some of that had to be replenished. Maybe some of that had to be, you know, brought to the forefront in this 2022 draft. We will see going forward. It's an interesting strategy to trade down and trade down with teams in your division. I don't know if I'd recommend that every year. I don't know if I love that as a style, but we are going to have to see whether or not Kwesi Adolfo Mensa and Faith are rewarded. Let's finish up quickly talking Twins because they lost to the Rays last night, 6-1. to one. Not a great game for Dylan Bundy. Bundy gave up four runs in the first inning. He ended up pitching six innings, gave up six runs, so kind of you know took one for the team, saved the bullpen a bit, but not a great outing after three good ones for him. Bigger picture is just kind of watch this as the year goes on. Twins are now four and seven outside the AL Central, seven and two inside the AL Central. They're going to need to be closer to 500 against non-division teams as the year goes on, even if they are able to beat up against some bad teams on in the AL Central, if they are going to compete for a division title. They've looked overmatched when they got outside the division so far, especially against American League East teams. Um, we'll see how that continues to play out in this series against Tampa Bay right after this. Doesn't get a ton easier right after this. They, they end up playing well, Baltimore, another AL East team, then Oakland, Houston. So, you know, they're going to be playing outside the division until they play Cleveland on May 13th. So how that plays out, we will see. But right now, not great inside, uh, outside the division, better inside the AL Central. That'll do it for me here today. Be back Monday talking with Patrick Royce. This was just a stream of consciousness reaction show. Had to get a lot of things out there because Friday was just one of those nights where too many things were happening and too much would have been would have felt like it was too far away if we didn't talk about them right here and now. Thanks for joining me. Back at it again on Monday.